Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Is that okay? You have enough room? Yeah, I have short legs. Okay, me too. You can move back four more inches if you need it. Beth Karras and I are in Gaithersburg, Maryland, stuffing ourselves into this car and about to go on a ride-along of sorts. We've asked Troy to help us recreate what must have been one of the most frightening, chaotic, and terrifying days of his life. So I went up into here and then came back down this way. Beth is in the back, and I'm up front with Troy, who's driving. He's our tour guide today and has agreed to bring us back to September 8th, 2014, the day everything changed. Probably the first place we could hit would be where Jacob went missing from on the way back. And then from there, we'll go to Clarksburg and start from there. I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Unrestorable, an original podcast from Anonymous Content and iHeartRadio. We are entering what they call Darnstown or North Potomac, which is actually still Gaithersburg. We just drove through what looks like a pretty nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Lakeland here, and then we're going to come out on 28 up here, and that'll take us right out to where Lindsay used to live. It's been about nine years since Troy has seen or heard from his two youngest kids, Sarah, three, and Jacob, two. They were last seen with their mother, Catherine Hoggle. And despite her insistence that no harm has ever come to them, police charged her with the children's murders. But she has yet to face those charges in court. Years of mental health problems led to Catherine being deemed incompetent. In other words, unable to assist in her own defense. So for the past nine years, Catherine has called the Clifton T. Perkins Hospital Center, a psychiatric institution, home. 
At the time that his kids went missing, Troy and Catherine were still together, trying to raise their three kids. But Catherine's mental health had been deteriorating, and she'd been in and out of mental health facilities. Her parents, especially her mother, Lindsay, had been helping with the kids. But even with his mother-in-law's help, Troy was basically a single parent. He was the one who did all the cooking and cleaning. He made sure that the kids got to school and gave them baths when they got home. Two o'clock is when I picked her up from the day program. Troy spent the night of September 7th, 2014 at work, and the next day, September 8th, running errands. That included picking Catherine up from the psychiatric hospital where she attended a day program from morning through early afternoon. I pull up, she's not out there. Finally, she comes walking out a little bit after 2.30. So I'm like, what the heck's going on, you know? She's like, oh, I got, you know, hung up talking with this counselor and this and whatever. All eyes later on, I find out because whenever I look at her phone records, she actually was trying to call cabs. Troy was irritated because he didn't want to be late to pick up his oldest son, who would soon be dropped off by the school bus. But Catherine was normal, fine. To Troy, she was acting like it was any other day. I said, my little man can't be waiting. The plan was to pick up their oldest son and then get Sarah and Jacob from daycare. And where did she tell you, like, was she like, oh, they're in this neighborhood, they're near this complex? It was just they were at a daycare. So there was nothing really said at this point because I thought I knew which one we were going to. Troy and Catherine had been discussing sending the two youngest kids to daycare. They had talked about different options. But that morning, when Troy woke up after working a late shift, the kids weren't there. Catherine had made a decision to take them to daycare, she told him. Not being consulted about that decision definitely bothered Troy. But also, Catherine wasn't supposed to be driving because of the medication she was on. And apparently, she had driven both kids that morning. And at this point, are you thinking anything's wrong other than, like, maybe this is a bit annoying? No. I'm thinking I'm going to go get my kids from the daycare, and I'll determine, you know, if I want them to go back to that daycare. But I'm thinking also what I need to do to make sure that she's not even awake when I'm not around them, if I need to have her not there at all because she's going to, you know, pull crap like this. Over the past few months, it had become clear to Troy that Catherine could not be trusted to be alone with her kids. The family questioned her ability to make decisions and worried about the impact of the medication she was taking. Lindsay says that Catherine would sometimes be so drugged that she would fall into a deep sleep, impossible to wake. Other times, Catherine seemed paranoid or confused or angry, making the other adults around her uncomfortable and worried about the children's safety. So as a family, they had decided that Catherine could not be alone with the children. Troy or her mother Lindsay or her father Randy had to be around. Troy's life for the year leading up to this event had been characterized by hypervigilance, the fear that Catherine might in some way endanger the kids even if she didn't mean to hurt them. A unilateral move like this, the loss of control to someone with a history of making irrational decisions, was exactly what Troy had been afraid of. But up until this day, this car ride, no one imagined that Catherine would actively hurt the kids. The day of September 8th begins with Troy being woken up by his oldest son before the alarm clock even goes off. Troy needs to start their day, make breakfast for all three kids, and it's so early that Troy just assumes that his two youngest kids, Sarah and Jacob, are still asleep. 
I noticed Jacob is not in his crib, which is actually in my room still. But it was normal for him to climb out and go to my oldest bed. Looking back, Troy now sees that there were hints that things were off. But things had been off for so long that the unusual had begun to feel somewhat normal. What was also not as normal but fairly normal was for all three of them to be in the same bed by the morning. So I look in Sarah's room, she's not there. Next, Troy goes into his eldest son's bedroom, expecting to see the youngest kids asleep together. Instead, the room is empty. So then I'm like, you know, okay, so they're not here. Troy looks out the window and sees that his car is gone too. When he calls Catherine's cell phone, he sees it vibrating on the coffee table. He calls Lindsay, Catherine's mother, but she has no idea where Catherine, Sarah, or Jacob are. I said, okay, and I get my oldest ready, get him on the bus. I didn't want to freak him out. As soon as I got him on the bus, I called 911. That might seem extreme, I know. But things had become so chaotic that Troy didn't want to take any chances. But just as Troy's connecting with a 911 dispatcher, Troy sees Catherine pull up in their car. I go to the car. What the hell is going on, basically? You know, and she's like, "Oh well, I took them to daycare." I said, "Well, hold on." I said, "You're not." I said, "You ain't no wife." Bean Dad, the dress, thirty to fifty feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. 
For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And where are we heading now? So right now we're heading to Clarksburg. And what's in Clarksburg? Uh, that's the apartment we lived in. With Troy believing his two youngest kids are in daycare and his oldest safely at school, his day is relatively stress-free. But... That irritated feeling he gets around Catherine settles in as soon as he picks her up from her day program at the hospital. She's running late, and Troy is worried they will be late picking up their eldest son. I was like, yeah, so let's go. They make it on time to meet the school bus. Next, it's off to get the two babies. Off to a daycare that Troy has never been to, but thinks he knows. I got ready to turn, but she said, go, you know, continue. She was like, no, not that one. She was like, it's it's down farther. I said, oh, I thought... She was like, no, there's the one right behind you. So I keep going, right? So we're driving here, and I'm going, okay, well, I'm like, there's no daycares right over here, is there? And she was like, not that I know of. Catherine tells Troy to keep driving, but things are getting very confusing. And I was like, so you're positive it's in Germantown? And she said, yeah. I said, well, we're in Gaithersburg now, so I need to make a U-turn. And the farther they go, the more it's clear that Catherine is fuzzy on where she left their two youngest kids. And Catherine is just sort of almost treating this like you're having kind of a trivial argument. Like, it's not a big deal. What are you getting so upset about? Right. Exactly. Her tone is kind of like, I don't understand why you're so angry. For Troy, it was infuriating. Catherine's seeming nonchalance about picking up Sarah and Jacob. I said, so what's the place called? I don't know. Okay, well, what road is it on? I don't, I don't remember the name of the street, Troy. I said, you don't remember what it's called? No. Well, give me their phone number. I'll call them. Right now, I'm literally in this lane, and this conversation's happening. And that's when she said, I don't have their phone number. And then I looked at her. This light was red. I stopped, and I looked at her. I said, let me get this straight. You took my kids and dropped them off at a daycare. You don't know the name of it. You don't have an address. You don't know what street it's on. You have no idea where it is, and you don't have a phone number? And she looked at me, and that's when she said, well, they have my number. And that's whenever I felt like I was going to explode. But out of the corner of his eye, Troy sees his son, his eldest, who's there in the back seat. And he's hearing all of this. And I said, okay, can't do that. Before Troy can go any further, he needs someone to take his eldest son. So Troy calls Catherine's mother, Lindsay. I said, I want you to take my son. And Catherine was like, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm having your mom meet us. He's going to go with her. And she was like, he's not going with her. I said, yes, he is. And so she's going, we'll go pick up, you know, Sarah and Jacob. And I said, 
I said, no, we're going to go pick him up. I said, but first, we're going to meet your mom here. Troy pulls over to the side of the road to wait for Lindsay, who shows up 10 minutes later. But Catherine is shaken out of complacency when Lindsay shows up and separates Catherine from her eldest son. She was adamant that Lindsay not take him. It seemed to trigger something desperate, furious in Catherine. She starts going, well, he's not going. I'm like, yes, yes, he is. And she's telling her mom, mom, just leave, just leave. And Lindsay's going, no, I'm not leaving without him at this point. And Troy wants me to take him, you know. All of this behavior is clearly troubling. Catherine had been struggling for years, but today, this is all new. In the months leading up to this, Catherine was fine with her mother's involvement in their lives. Lindsay had been a safe harbor for the family. She'd picked up huge amounts of slack as a mother and grandmother. But here and now, Catherine seems determined not to be separated from her oldest son. Troy ignores her and picks up their son, putting him in the back of Lindsay's car. And I tell her, go. Uh, She pulls off. Catherine starts banging on the back of her car while she's pulling off and screaming obscenities at her. I said, what the hell's wrong with you? She said, I don't trust her with him. I said, that's not true. She's watched him a million times. So I said, so where are we going to get him? And she goes, well, they're up here. She said, fine, let's go get him because I want to go get him as soon as possible from her. At this point, Troy is wondering if this is some kind of game, a control thing. Maybe punishment for the last year, for the rules, the hospitalizations, for telling Catherine how she could be a mom. Maybe Catherine feels like she's in trouble again, yet again letting down her family. At this point, I'm not really scared because I think my kids are in a daycare and we're going to pick them up, but I'm fuming. Right before the kids went missing, Catherine had been getting regular treatment. She was being medicated. Troy wondered if maybe they could start enjoying life's mundane moments again. But now, Troy is wondering if maybe he'd been in denial. That in reality, they could never really be a family. And maybe he has no idea what Catherine is actually capable of. We drive up here, and I'm asking her, you know, where they are, things like that. And... She says, well, you know where it is. It's right here. Here was a daycare he knew. It was close to the one where his oldest had gone before he started school. So so are you telling me that they're at the daycare where we put the oldest? And she said, no. I said, so it's the one right behind it. That's what you're telling me. We're going to go there and pick him up now. And she said, well, no, not that one. I said, well, those are the only two over here. So at that point, I got out of the car. I opened up that door. And I'm standing above her. I'm going, where are my kids? And so sorry, you get out, walk around, and open her door. Right. And I'm going, where are my kids? And she goes, they're they're in daycare, Troy. You know, like, wait. And I said, tell me where my kids are. And whatever it is inside of me, I can't put my hands on a woman. I wanted to yank her out and grab her and like force her to tell, but I just can't put my hands on a woman out of anger. And I didn't. Um, It may sound terrible to say, I wish I could at this point. I wish I was one of those dudes, like, in that moment only, but I'm just not. I couldn't do it. So there's all kinds of things going in my mind that I could do to make her talk, but nothing's happening. Troy is losing control, but he knows he needs to stay calm. He's picturing Sarah and Jacob sitting at some daycare, God knows where, feeling forgotten. The only kids whose parents haven't come to pick them up. 
but he's also desperately hanging on to the hope that he'll see their faces looking up at him when he finally gets there. Are you thinking at this point that maybe she doesn't know where the kids are or maybe she's forgotten or anything? No. no. She's just, no, she, she's, she's messing with you. even since shown any signs of like having a psychotic break with no memory or any, nothing like that. She's not even acting like in terms of what I've seen as in her mental illness when it's acting up or bad or whatever you want to call it. Are, are the two of you talking about anything as this goes on? I have nothing to say to her. I just want to get my kids, get them home, get them in bed, and then put her ass out. That's all I'm thinking at this point. So you're thinking, like, I'm sending her to her parents or whatever. Or, or the street. I don't care at this point. She's a danger to my kids, so I'm just done. Driving from place to place, Troy's desperation grows. It's now after 6 p.m. The traffic is thinning as other people make it home to spend the evening with their families, to make dinner for their kids. When they pull up to a church that Catherine has directed Troy to, he feels a slight pang of relief when he sees a playground and some toys. At this point, any sign of children is a good thing. So we go there. There's a young lady there who runs the daycare, but all the kids are gone. The woman who runs the daycare confirms that Sarah and Jacob were never there, that she's never seen Catherine before. Catherine asks to use the bathroom, then comes back out and joins Troy in the car. So what she did inside, what it turns out is she asked to use the phone. She, um, she called her mom repeatedly and tried to get her to bring the oldest back. What it turns out her mom told her was that, well, you know, well, as soon as you produce the other two, then you'll see him. Troy knows this is serious, but what are his options? Catherine is the only one who knows where Sarah and Jacob are. And if he doesn't play her game or whatever this is, then maybe she'll just decide not to tell him. They start driving again. I was like, is it this one? She was like, no, not that one. I pointed out, like, pretty much every church I'm going, is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? The whole way up there. You know, at this point, Catherine was not supposed to be alone, unsupervised with the children. Just a reminder that Beth Karras is in the car with us as well. I mean, maybe you didn't want to go there in your mind that she had done something with the children, but there was a reason why she wasn't supposed to be alone with them, right? Right. And it wasn't that anyone actually at that point believed that she would physically purposely hurt them. It was more of the decision-making stuff. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. 
that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. But it's at this point, close to 7 p.m., the sun's starting to dip, that the worst-case scenario must be starting to creep into Troy's mind. Troy and Catherine had been in the car for more than four hours when they arrived at one more daycare. And this one is still open. Troy is sure that this is the one, that he's going to walk through those doors and see his children. As he pulls up, he can feel his heart pounding in his chest. I pulled into actually this middle spot here. There was nothing here. There was like one car, you know, parked in the back there. So I'm going, so this is where, she says yes. So I get out, walk quickly to the door here, go inside. I'm going, I'm so sorry I'm late. You know, I came to get my kids. And the lady's looking at me going, ain't no kids here. <laughs> I'm going, uh, you know, I give their names, I'm like Sarah and Jacob. She was like, no. So I pull out my phone, I show her a picture. I'm like, these two? And she's like, They were never here. She was like, we've never seen them. Troy changes his mind at this moment. Whatever Catherine is doing, whatever game she's playing, he's done. I'm thinking I'm going to the police station to basically have them do whatever they need to do to find out where my kids are. And... I'm thinking that I need to get there before I lose control over my emotions at this point. You know, this is, it's just too much at this point. I'm like, it's it's crazy. So you're like really feeling on the edge here? Yes. 
And it's at this point, I still don't think in my mind she physically hurt my kids, but I'm thinking she has left my kids somewhere where no one is except maybe one person sitting there, you know, because there's two kids stuck there, who's probably going to call the police or CPS thinking that they've been abandoned. She goes, why are we pulling down here? And I said, because the police station is here. We're going to the police station. When I said that to her about right here, she was like, we, we don't need to involve it. We don't need to do that. I said, yes, we do. I said, my kids aren't here. I don't know where you put them. So I need to have the police help me find them, apparently. And then she goes, they're on Bethesda Church Road. Catherine plays this like she's folding, giving up the game. Like Troy has won, and now she is going to really actually tell him where he can find Sarah and Jacob. Or maybe she's bargaining against something that terrifies her. Lindsay told me that when Catherine was involuntarily committed, she was handcuffed by police and taken away in front of her children. And that she'd had a paralyzing fear of police, their red and blue lights and the loud sirens in the distance, ever since. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, there's a daycare on Bethesda Church Road. That's where I put them. And I said, so why wouldn't you have just said that before so we could have went and picked them up? She said, because they actually have extended stay there till like 8 o'clock. And I was like, no one does that. That's not real. She was like, well, she was like, out there they do. She said, because parents get home much later because traffic is farther out. And all that place. At this point, it's near dark and Troy is done. Done with Catherine, done with the wild goose chase. Plus, he can't dismiss his creeping sense of alarm. He feels a tug towards the police station. But he also can't let go of the hope that the kids will be at the next daycare. That after a long and frustrating day, his life will return to what looks like normal. So he agrees to drive to Bethesda Church Road. But first, Catherine pleads with him to stop for a soda. Her medication is kicking in, she says. And she's feeling tired. All right. I said, we'll go right here. Hit it up. Troy and Catherine pull into the parking lot of a fast-food chicken sandwich place. There's a drive through but Troy parks the car. I park right here, literally right here in this spot. And we got out and walked in. Catherine gets a soda, and the two of them head back to the car. Troy is hopeful that the next daycare is the right one, that Sarah and Jacob will be back in his arms as soon as he can get there. But Catherine stops. She says her cup is already empty. She wants to get a refill so she's nice and alert when they go pick up the kids. So I said, well, hurry up. I said, I want to go get my babies. Troy gets in the car. He's antsy, and he starts it up in anticipation of Catherine returning any second. Then approximately three minutes passed, and that's when it hit me. You don't stand in line for refills here. Desperate, Troy runs back into the store. So, don't see her anywhere inside. So, she's not in line. She's not off to the side getting a refill. She's nowhere inside. Walk into the men's bathroom, walk into the women's bathroom. Nothing. She's just gone. And now what's going through your mind? What's going through my mind now is just panic. Troy knows where his next stop has to be. The police station is right across the street. He parks in front and runs inside. So, like, I go in, there's, like, the window where you tell him, you know, why you're there or whatever. Troy frantically calls Lindsay, his own mother, Catherine's dad, Randy. Full panic has set in as he tells the cops what he's been through that day. 
like, go do whatever you got to do. I'm sure you have to question me. Let's get that out of the way. You know, I was like, whatever you got to do to get to actually finding my kids, just do it. Lindsay arrives at the police station. So Lindsay goes, I've been searching daycares or nowhere any of them in Germantown. I've driven to all. I'm looking at her like, what? Like, how long have you been doing this? And what is going on here? And she said, I've been worried kind of, you know, since she didn't come back with Jacob last night. And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, she came back without Jacob last night. Catherine had come home without Jacob the night before. I said, what the hell are you talking about, Lindsay? She goes, you, you didn't know Jacob wasn't there last night? I said, no. I said, no one told me that. With this, it all comes crashing down. That morning when Troy came home from working the night shift and he couldn't find his two youngest kids. When Catherine was gone and so was the car. Remember, Troy had started to call 911, but Catherine came home then and told him she'd taken the kids to daycare. It never occurred to Troy that she'd been lying. It never occurred to him that the kids hadn't spent the night in their beds, that the kids had been missing since the night before. I'm thinking, you know, like, like what's going on? Like, this is insane. Like, where are my kids? And that's kind of all I'm really thinking. It's just, where are my kids? What's going on here? Like, I have to find them. Next time on Unrestorable. The next morning, I get a call, and they're asking myself and Randy to come in and saying, look, she won't tell us where the kids are. Maybe she'll tell you guys. Come ask her. Unrestorable is executive produced and hosted by me, Sarah Trelevin, and Beth Karras. Our story editor is Kathleen Goldhar. Mixing and sound design by Reza Daya. For anonymous content, Jessica Grimshaw is our executive producer, Jennifer Sears is our executive in charge of production, and Nick Yanez is our legal counsel. For iHeart, executive producer Christina Everett and supervising producer Abu Zafar. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. 
And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.